Let us now go to God's holy word and read from Colossians 2, the verses 1 to 15. Colossians 2, starting at verse 1, and after the reading of that part of God's word, we will respond by singing from Psalm 95, the stanzas 1 and 3. This is the word of God. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Our text for this afternoon is the first Lord's Day, Lord's Day 1, in which we confess our only comfort, which is squarely based on the Word of God. So let us first read Lord's Day 1. It's on page 517 of your Book of Praise. <coughs> what is your only comfort in life and death? That are not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, 
He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is your only comfort in life and death? That's how the catechism starts. And from this sentence, it also receives its name, Book of Comfort. Every word in this question is important. You can't get around it. What is your only comfort, my brother and sister? Catechism is very personal here. And in this question, it asks, how do you live before God? What goes on in your heart? What holds your life together? On what is it founded? Where do you fall back on? What allows you to enjoy life no matter what happens? Does it have a rock-firm foundation? Can it stand up to all the problems and difficulties and sorrows which you meet? The question becomes more pressing yet. What is your only comfort? Catechism does not go for a dozen or more, like many people do. Entertainment, partying, the bottle, drugs, no, there's only one comfort, only one way, one certainty, one fact that allows you to live and to die. What is it? There are many who try to escape this question. It makes them feel uncomfortable. It's getting too close for comfort. And they follow the policy of the proverbial ostrich. Their comfort is that they push the great questions of life and of death to the next day or week or year. But the catechism wants an answer now. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is it really, comfort, brothers and sisters? No, it's got nothing to do with an easy chair or with a good meal or a clean bed. Comfort literally means strength together. Not just strength, not only something that you possess on your own, but strength in combination with someone else. Strength, power an unshakable foundation which allows you to weather all the storms, all the sadness, all the grief, 
and all the tensions of which this life is so full. That's what the Catechism is concerned about. The only comfort that allows you to live and to die in peace. And that comfort is found, brothers and sisters, in one man, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the answer which the Catechism has learned from the Scriptures, that I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the comfort of the church and of every believer. I belong to Christ. He is my comfort, my only comfort. And that's what the Catechism wants to hear also from you, brothers and sisters, and that includes our teenagers and young children. <coughs> and that's what you may believe on the strength of God's own word. Catechism doesn't start in a vacuum. This teaching aid does not begin with a question without giving the answer at the same time. But once the question is asked, it hurries on to give us the reply. And that reply is a song, a confession, an exclamation of joy, which all of us may repeat, I am not my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry, for my Savior loves me. I can live for Christ is my Lord, and I don't have to fear death, for Jesus takes care of me. <coughs> that is the comfort we need to hear, beloved, time and again. That's the gospel that needs to be preached every week again. Comfort stands opposed to evil, and the greater the evil, the greater comfort I need. And the biggest evil is sin. That is the cause of all unhappiness, all misery, all trouble, and all pain. And worst of all, it is the cause of eternal condemnation, of living an eternity under the wrath and the judgments of a holy God. Oh, man will never admit that of his own. He does not even know his terrible predicament unless God reveals it to him. And that's why Lord's Day 1 not only mentions the only comfort, but also points the way as to how to enjoy it. For to live and die in this comfort implies that we know our sin and misery that we know how Christ delivers us from it, and that we know how to live for Him in daily thankfulness. In other words, we have this comfort, and we must make it our own more and more. For in the school of Jesus Christ, we are never finished. Without the regular preaching of the gospel, 
and the constant teaching of the doctrines of salvation, we will not be able to live from that comfort, let alone die in it. That is the message of the Heidelberg Catechism, that great treasure chest of the church, to hear about the only comfort summarized in Lord's Day 1 and elaborated upon in the rest of the Catechism. Let us listen to this gospel about our only comfort in life and in death under the heading, Our Only Comfort is Found in Jesus Christ. You'll see three things. First of all, this comfort consists in the payment of the debt of our sin, in the preservation from the power of sin, and in the assurance of the defeat of sin. Why is Christ our only comfort, brothers and sisters? What makes Him the only person in whose care we are always safe? Why is there no one else in whom I can trust to provide me with whatever I need to live and to die in peace? Well, let's listen to the Catechism. It says, He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. Did you hear that? Also, you boys and girls, Christ has fully paid for all your sins with His own precious blood, and in that way He made you His own. That means you belong to Him. He is your master, your Lord, your owner. Just let that sink in for a moment. You don't belong to yourself. You're not the master of your own life, but you are the property of Jesus Christ. How can the Catechism say that? Where does it get that from? Well, from the Bible, of course. The Catechism does nothing but repeat what the Scripture teaches. Just listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians, and I quote, you are not your own, he says in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with a price. And in Romans 14, he says, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And the Apostle Peter writes to the Christians of his time, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. Now, we need to go into that a little further, because to us, 21st century people, it sounds somewhat strange that people were bought, that a price was paid to free them. Slavery has been abolished for years. But when Christ paid for our sins, brothers and sisters, when Jesus died on the cross to get rid of that huge debt that you and I owe to God because of our sins, He freed us from all the power of the devil. He ransomed us from the burden of sin which held us as prisoners of Satan. You know, of course, that we people are all born in sin. 
from the very beginning of our life, we are children of wrath. God's anger rested on us because of our sinful nature. And that anger of God is an eternal anger. Our sins deserve nothing but death. Is that not what the Bible teaches? Is death not the penalty that God had pronounced upon sin at the beginning of time already? But now, now look at God's love. <laughs> See what he did. He did not leave us to ourselves, beloved, because he did not want our death. He promised his son way back in history already, right after Adam and Eve fell into sin. And in due time, we will remember tomorrow, especially on Christmas Day, the Father sent His Son into this world as a true man, as the Savior. And He did what you and I could have never done. He took our place and He said, Father, punish me. Father, let your wrath burden itself out on me. Father, I will pay the price which man owes to you. And by paying that terribly high price, and by dying that horrible death, by giving his innocent and precious blood, Christ, once and for all, got rid of our debt. He paid what we, what you and I, owe to God. And so, He gives us life, life eternal. For once the debt of your sins is gone, once God has received the payment which His justice and holiness demands, God is no longer angry, <coughs> no longer full of wrath. But now He accepts us as His beloved children, and He wants to see us happy again. And He wants to bless us with all the good gifts which He promises in the Bible. Now somebody might say, but is that comfort? Is that what the Bible and the Catechism proclaim as the only ground which can make you truly happy? To belong to someone else? To be the property of another person? Is man's highest goal not to be his own boss? Is our world not busy telling people that the greatest happiness can be found in being independent? True, that is indeed what you hear from many sides. But it's the greatest lie imaginable. For strictly speaking, brothers and sisters, Man has never been his own boss, and he never will be. He either belongs to Satan or to Christ. There is no in-between. That's what the Apostle Paul says, for instance, in Romans 6, in these words, and I quote, You are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You can also say, 
either of Satan or of Christ. Ever since man fell into sin, he has been a slave of the devil. But through Christ, he becomes a free man. Yes, a free man. For only Jesus Christ allows you to live as God had in store for mankind when he created him. Only when you belong to him, by a true faith, are you able to reach your potential and to achieve the peace and joy that make life really worth living. And that's why this truth that we belong to Jesus Christ is indeed the only comfort that allows us to live and to die. That is the blessing, the richness, the joy of the Reformed faith. For thanks to God's covenant faithfulness, you may believe this stupendous truth, beloved, and you may tell your children about it as soon as they're able to understand you belong to Christ. You and your children, God has promised that to you from the very beginning of your life. Oh, it must be believed. The Bible is not like a horoscope. It doesn't predict your future so that you can't do anything about it. No, the Bible promises. And for a promise to be fulfilled, faith in that promise is necessary. Lord's Day 1 also mentions that in the second question and answer. Then it says, what must you know? That is, what must you believe so that you can indeed live from the only comfort in life and in death? And then the answer is, I must know that I am a sinner in and from myself. I must know that I stand before God with such a huge debt that I can never ever pay myself. Such a debt which deserves nothing less than eternal death. But that's not all. I must and may also believe that my faithful Savior paid that debt. He rescued me. He set me free from the shackles of sin. And so he enables me to live through his Holy Spirit in daily thankfulness, in the comfort that nothing is able to separate me from the love of my God, and with the desire that I want to love this Lord for this priceless comfort, which gives me life, even when my death draws near. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, how rich you are? Do you understand what Christ has done for you? <coughs> Do you see what a comfort you possess in this confession? We do not only know God, we do not only love Him, but we belong to Him, first of all. He paid for us. 
What a comfort that is. What grace. What a revelation of divine love. For now, now I am able to live again. Now I'm no longer bothered by the fear of death. Now I can look my God in the eyes instead of running away from him and trying to hide myself. For I cost my Savior far too much that, that he will ever discard me. Now that the debt of my sin is gone, I can sing again. I can live again. Live in communion with my God. Never be left to myself. Always certain of his love. Constantly surrounded by his preservation. And the same applies to my children and grandchildren. I may tell them of their Savior, who also paid for their sins. I may teach them that the Lord Jesus has also made them his prized possession. And I pray to my God, appealing to his own covenant promises, that he will also bring them to faith and keep them in that faith as they grow up. When they enter their teens and stand exposed to the dangers of Satan who tries to seduce them in so many ways. See, brothers and sisters, this is comfort. The only comfort. Compare that to what this world offers as comfort. It's not even worth the name. What can prosperity, what can health, what can a low life, Yes, what can anything outside of Jesus Christ give you as real comfort? Can it ever give you the peace for which your heart yearns, the joy which is indestructible, <coughs> the hope which will never let you down? Of course it can't. For unless I receive them, as a child of God, unless I possess them as the property of Jesus Christ, I can't enjoy them, really enjoy them. Because they don't, and they can't take away my greatest problem, and that is my sin. For it's only when those sins are gone, it's only when I may believe that the Lord Jesus Christ paid for all of them, only then can I live in peace. For then I possess a comfort which can never be destroyed. A comfort with which I can even face death, our last enemy. <clears throat> for when I belong to Jesus Christ, and the greatest darkness is light to me. And no problem, and no pain, and no disappointment, and no enemies can ever rob me from the communion with my God. A communion of life, of eternal life, against which even death itself is powerless. And that brings us to our second point, for this comfort goes further, brothers and sisters. We may also see and experience it 
in the preservation from the power of sin. That's our second point. For Christ has set me free from all the power of the devil, and he preserves me in such a way that without my Father's will, not even one hair can fall from my head. Stronger yet, all things, all that happens to me, must work together for my salvation. Let's face it, beloved, our only comfort, our only strength to be able to live here on earth requires more than to have your sins forgiven. Of course, that's fundamental, that's an absolute necessity, but it's not enough. If we did not know more, <coughs> we could still succumb to the power of evil. We would undoubtedly fall back into the hands of our arch enemy. And that's because in this life, Satan never ceases to attack the believers. He's always busy to make us give up on our God. And he tries it in every possible way. Just imagine for a moment if we were left to ourselves. If belonging to Jesus Christ would only give us the forgiveness of sins, how would I ever remain faithful to my God? How could I ever be kept close to Him? Is this life not full of dangers? Are there not many situations which frighten me? And what about the problems and the grief, the setbacks and the enmity? Just think, for instance, of the people in the days when the Catechism was written in the 16th century. What did they not often have to endure? Persecuted because of their faith, imprisoned, tortured, and even killed. You can't put into words what some of our brothers and sisters in those days had to go through. How could they find comfort in their difficult life? What did they have to hang on to when everything seemed to be against them? And what about us, beloved? The times may have changed, but has it become any easier to live as a Christian? Is this life not full of dangers which threaten our faith? Who can stand in his own strength? Who is able to ward off all the perils we encounter? Well, says the Catechism, it is the same Jesus Christ. For he not only paid for all my sins, but he also preserves me against everything which endangers my faith. Now that I belong to him, I may enjoy his continual care and his constant protection while I live here on earth. What a comfort that is, beloved. We are never alone. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God loves us as his children. And as a father, he watches over us at all times. He preserves us 
in faith. And he will not allow the devil to get hold of us again. And this preservation, this protection, goes down to the smallest details of your life, brothers and sisters. Not even a hair will fall from your head unless God wills it. That means not the least can happen to you without Father's consent. Again, the catechism just doesn't think this up, brothers and sisters. But this comes straight from the Word of God. Did our Lord not say, no one shall snatch the believers out of my hand? Does Paul not write to the Thessalonian church, but the Lord is faithful? He will strengthen you and guard you from all evil? And does Peter not comfort the believers with these words, you are guarded by God's power through faith for the salvation to be revealed in the last time? Is that not comfort? Is that not the only comfort which you need? God is with you, beloved. He watches over you like a mother cares for her little ones, always on the alert that no harm comes to them. <clears throat> oh no, that does not mean, of course, that you will be spared all kinds of adversities. To be a Christian is no guarantee that grief and sorrow Troubles and dangers will pass your front door. Often the opposite is the case. The Christians in the days of the catechism knew all about it. And what about us? Is it not true that many things can also threaten us in our faith? I don't have to mention them all. Each one of you can fill in the blanks. There's that sickness, for instance, which just doesn't go away, or the handicaps with which some of us must live, sometimes their whole life. There's grief, there's sorrow, there are our doubts at times, there are the temptations, there's the enmity, the disappointments, and so you could go on. How are we able to persevere? What prevents us from buckling under? How will we reach the safety of the promised land? There's only one answer. Jesus Christ will see to that. Our Savior goes with us. Our God will never let us down. Just as Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. See, that is our comfort, our only comfort. Oh yes, we are weak, but our God is almighty. We often fear the worst, but our Lord will protect us. We sometimes do not know what to do anymore, but our Savior holds on to us. And no matter what happens, our God 
We'll use it for our good. He does not only take care of my guilty past, but he also watches over me during this insecure present. We are on our way to a glorious future, and we don't travel on our own, for the Comforter is with us every step of the way. And that is my comfort, my only comfort. For now I know that nothing is able to separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Now I keep believing that my Heavenly Father will preserve me, and not only me, but also my children and grandchildren, and that even those sad events and those difficult circumstances cannot rob me of that comfort as long as I trust in Him. Oh, it does not surprise, brothers and sisters, that the Catechism calls this the only comfort. When I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, by faith, then my sin is gone. My debt is erased, and my life is preserved. From the cradle to the grave, all the powers of sin cannot prevent my salvation. What else do I need? If God is for us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? If not even one hair can fall from my head without Father's will, will he not guide me through this life and bring me into his heavenly kingdom? Yes, he will, brothers and sisters. He will because he promised that on oath and he sealed it with his signature when you were baptized. Believe that promise, beloved, and live out of it every day of your life and show in that way how you love this God, this Savior, for his inexpressible gift, the only comfort that allows you to live and to die. And that brings us to our last point. This comfort also consists in the assurance of the defeat of sin. That's the final part of Lord's Day 1. Christ our Savior assures us by His Holy Spirit of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. That also belongs to our only comfort, brothers and sisters. And we better not forget that. There are people who love to speak of forgiveness and of God's protection, but almost become numb when it comes to obedient living. The Catechism does not know of salvation unless also this element is included. Question and answer two summarize the only comfort in a threefold way, and each part is an absolute requirement. 
As a matter of fact, the comfort in life and in death reaches its peak when it comes to a life of obedience to God. Because it's exactly there where it is experienced and revealed. And it's there where you are assured that you really possess it. For what does the Catechism say? Christ our Lord assures me by his Holy Spirit of eternal life. And how does he do that? Does he give you private messages? Does he employ secret ways and means which only you know and others can't verify? Well, let's turn to the Bible again. What do the scriptures say? How can you be absolutely sure that you also may share in this comfort? Do the proof text you'll find underneath the question and answers in the catechism, do those proof texts perhaps disappoint you a little, brothers and sisters? For there I read, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit of God Himself bearing witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does that mean exactly? How are we assured that the Spirit of God and His Christ really dwell in us? <clears throat> That's often a problem for many believers. How do I become absolutely sure that I belong to Christ? How can I know that I really Share in the only comfort. Then it's not enough to look at God's promises. Of course, sure, those promises are there, and they're very important, and they may and they must be believed. They form the foundation from where I proceed, but I must not stop there. I must go on. For when I truly believe those promises then something is going to happen in my life. Then it changes. Then I no longer live, the Bible tells me, but Christ lives in me through His Holy Spirit. And then, then I'm really living as God wants me to. Then I possess the life which will never end. Then it becomes obvious in my life that sin has really been defeated and that Christ is now in charge. For nobody can and nobody will live for God until the Holy Spirit has worked faith in his heart. Nobody cares about God's will for his life unless he is regenerated. And that's what the Holy Spirit of Christ does in the hearts of all who believe. And then, then you see the humanly impossible. Then people start to deny their old nature and to delight to do the will of God. It's no coincidence, brothers and sisters, that the Bible often connects eternal life 
to a life of obedience to God's will. In Romans 2 we read, For God will render to every man according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are disobedient, there will be wrath and fury. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive good or evil, according to what he has done in the body. And one more text in John 12, the Lord Jesus himself says to the disobedient Jews that God's commandment is eternal life. Do you see the close connection? Do you realize that faith without works is dead? Do you understand that in wanting to live according to God's commandments, the Holy Spirit gives you that extra assurance you need to live and to die in the only comfort? No, that has nothing to do with the teaching as if we have to do our own little bit to complement what Christ has done for us, but it has everything to do with it through faith. When you hate sin, and when you come to hate it more and more, when you are determined to obey the Word of God, then you witness the power and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in your life. And then you become more and more assured that you belong to Him. Then you cling to Him. You look up to Him every day and ask Him to make you faithful, to obey His Word. Also when it hurts, when friendships are lost perhaps, or when you must give up a promising job or break off a relationship which does not carry God's approval. Yes, it can hurt, and it does hurt. Living for the Lord does not make you a toasted celebrity in this world as a rule. Often you're only just tolerated, sometimes not only that. But what it gives you, brothers and sisters, what it gives you is far, far more than what it costs. You witness as you grow in your faith and in, and in your obedience that Christ has indeed defeated sin and that His Spirit indwells you. And so you become more and more assured of your only comfort, Christ and His grace. God and His loving care, the Holy Spirit and His almighty power. And then, brothers and sisters, then you can sing through your tears. You have peace when everything seems topsy-turvy. You possess joy in the midst of your problems. And you live in the light of God's friendly countenance, no matter how dark it may get. In short, 
you're able to live in communion with God, hand in hand with your Savior and with your brothers and sisters, the Church of Jesus Christ, traveling together to the land of hope and glory, where all sin, all pain, all sorrow, and all tensions will be absent, and where we will sing with the Church of all ages the praises of our God, who comforts us in Christ with a comfort which transcends every possible opposition and defies every possible imagination. A comfort that allows you to live and a comfort that allows you to die. This comfort, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Praise be to God for the gift of his Son, our only Savior, our only comfort. Amen.